Well, our text, if you have a Bible this morning, um, is going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to read 1 through 10, but I'm going to focus in on Isaiah 11.2 this morning. So if you have a Bible or a phone in front of you, if not, it'll be on the screen. Here, this is Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. And this is how it reads. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked and righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall lay or shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And in the day the root of Jesse, in that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him. Shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. And again, verse two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we come to you um, in all sorts of places, with our hearts hard, with our hearts soft and tender, maybe even in between. Uh, we ask by your spirit that you would break through any hard-heartedness and that you would tenderly love and shepherd any soft-heartedness here in this morning. And we pray ultimately that we would see Jesus more glorious and more beautiful than ever for we wait for his coming. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The shelter was dark and damp. In the distant corner, a fluorescent light dimly shines through the darkness. The sounds of war echo off in the distance. Rubble, abandoned cars, and empty streets stand in a once vibrant area. A small group huddles together in a shelter. There was a calm, a break in the bombing. The group sighs with relief, wondering when the chaos would end. Then a loud bang, another round of bombing ensues, this time closer than last. 
Again, silence. In the stillness, you can hear the breath of each individual in the group become one big exhale. Out of the silence, the bow hits the string. A soft, subtle sound begins to echo through the shelter. Longer, louder, a soothing melody of a Ukrainian folk song. Hope begins to arise. The music drowns out the sounds of war. Imperfection, human inability, and the need for rescue all meet underneath of this fluorescent light as this beautiful soothing melody plays. For a moment in time, the longing of their hearts for new life is rekindled by the beautiful sound of one woman's violin. Imperfection, human inability, and the need for rescue is actually what we meet here in Isaiah. The longings of our hearts for new life, for a different way, we feel that tension, right? Or am I the only one? The longing for new life, for a change, for a different way, for chaos to not be reality. And deep down, if we are honest with ourselves, we want someone to change it. Like we really want someone to change it when everything is crazy in our lives. We want someone to give us a different world to get our minds off of it. We need to be rescued. This is the point of Advent. We need to be rescued. The Christian faith can be boiled down to a rescue and recreation. And that's what we have here. You see, the story that I tried to paint for you at the beginning is an actual reality. It's real. If you look it up on the internet, there's a beautiful violinist in a bomb shelter playing for a small group of people in war-torn Ukraine. And the reality is, is that 2022 Ukraine and Judah in exile are not that different. And they're more alike than you think. The evil intentions of a kingly figure wars over a people. Empty hope is put into political figures, and this is where it crosses the pond. Empty hope is put into political figures, activists, actors, artists, and more. We and they are searching for one violinist who can play the melody that recreates our lives out of this war we find ourselves in. And war doesn't mean actual physical shells and bombs often. You see, the people here are ruled by death. They're suffering under their own sin and the sin of the other. The people wonder in the dark shadow of desolation, who can possibly recreate for them a new life? <clears throat> What beautiful melody can arise from the radiostatic sin ringing in their and our 
ears. Then we can have a flashback. And we remember that there is a melody that does play very softly, very tenderly in the depths of our souls that we weren't created for desolation, that we weren't created to be ruled by sin, but to flourish. Our hearts weren't meant to be lulled to sleep by a different tune. The dreams we now dream tell us we belong in this mess. The dreams we now dream tell us you rule yourself or someone can create a perfect or that you can create a perfect savior for yourself that will give you the life that you want. You see, we weren't created for a tyrannical rule of sin. We were created for the soothing melody of the sounds of a compassionate, ruling and caring creator God. So whether we believe it or not, this text is actually speaking of a people that are ruled by something other than that God and their need for him. And whether we believe it or not, we are actually day by day ruled by something, by someone. We are the ruled by grace and mercy and goodness and the steadfast love of God, or we are ruled by, I'll let you fill in the blank. And the tension of what we know as our day-to-day reality and what we were created for, are ne- they never fully line up right now. They never fully feel realized. And this experience is what connects us with Judah in this text, who is in exile under Assyria, waiting in desolation, is that they are looking for a king to bring renewal. And we are looking for a king to bring renewal. But why should we look for a king to bring renewal. And this is where verse two comes into play. And this is my first main point. Why should we look for a king to bring renewal? Because in him, God's spirit rests. Look with me at the first line of verse two. When we hear the words, the spirit of the Lord, we are hearkened back to the animating presence of the spirit who hovered over the waters, giving life and order to what was once void and chaotic. He is the spirit that descended upon the judges to empower them towards God's leadership. He is the spirit that gifted to the throne of the king of Israel, given to lead the people in God's ways. This is the spirit that was given in moments to empower God's leaders in the moments that they needed to lead God's people. And this is the same spirit anoint, that anoints stamp of approval was on them to ensure his presence with that leader. And this is the pattern God designed for redemption to come, that his spirit would be empowering his king. And with this one king, the spirit of the living God comes to rest on him. And when we hear rest, it's not as if God's spirit was just jumping frantically to and fro from person to person throughout history in the Old Testament. 
finally coming to take a much needed nap before working again. No, this rest actually communicates permanence. God's spirit came to rest on him. It signals to us that God has taken up residence in this long anticipated redeemer of the world. This resting is the final resting of the spirit on the one man needed to bring redemption for all. You see, David was said to have had the spirit of the Lord rush upon him from this day forward, but David was only a man. David landed in the grave. David was just a man in preparation for the man. Jesus, the shoot from Jesse, the one from before who created the seed that sprouted the tree that turned into the stump and that blossomed the shoot. You see, in the gospels, the writer Matthew describes vividly a moment which forever is stamped in time, the fulfillment of this line in 11.2. We see Jesus pacing through a crowd of people as he approaches the banks of the Jordan. He gently moves his hand, touching the arm of the last few people as he approaches the wilderness-worn man by the name of John the Baptist. At this moment, John is flabbergasted. He's stumbling over his words. He's wondering, what are you doing here? Why am I baptizing you? You are the man. You are the man. And Jesus is the long-awaited king, the deliverer, the redeemer of God's people. Why would he need to be baptized by him? But as Jesus is lowered into the waters, Matthew describes the heavens being split open and the spirit of the Lord coming down out of the clouds like a dove. And it rested on him. It rested on him. 11.2 says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of God rested on Jesus. And for us here at Christ Church, to experience the renewal we long for, the renewal we need, we need the spirit of the Lord to have rested on Jesus. When the spirit of the Lord rests on Jesus, it rests on the only person in human history who can actually hold up the weight of every human longing, your longing, my longing, your suffering, my suffering, your temptation, my temptation, your struggle, my struggle. The only person in human history who can do that. When we look back at, on all the kings, judges, leaders, and more that God ordained in this world, none of them can hold a candle to Jesus. They hold a candle, but it's just passing the flame onto the larger candle that shines brightly in the night that came in the stable, Jesus of Nazareth. Because Jesus, God in the flesh, the root of Jesse came down to us, a man, he received the gift of the spirit so that he might give to us the very same spirit. 
If we have bet all our lives on him as our king, as our God, we get the very spirit that rested on him indwelling in us to recreate us, to begin to turn up the sound of that melody for us to hear, for us to have hope. Jesus was given the spirit, not just to fulfill all that God had prepared him to do, but also to enrich us with his wealth. Have you ever thought about that? God gave him the spirit so that Jesus could enrich you with all his wealth from before the foundations of the world that he had had with the father. We who are poor in spirit become rich in spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see your need for the king who had the spirit of the Lord rest upon him? How else could you possibly change, but if not to receive this king with this spirit? But not only do we look to the king for renewal, but we also look to him, and this is my second point, because in him is God's spirit of wisdom and understanding. So what is wisdom? Is it the collective knowledge of our failures over time and space and the course of a person's life? Is that wisdom? Maybe it's maintaining your four teeth in the back of your mouth. Is that wisdom? <laughs> Is it the proverbial live and learn? Well, I won't do that again. Is that wisdom? Is wisdom found in the sum total of hours you spend meditating, seeking to find the inner voice? Or is it passed down from generation to generation through warm, fireside chats of a beloved grandparent. Is that wisdom? If we quantified the amount of time we take to ponder what would be wise to do on a day or a weekly or a yearly basis, it would probably surprise us all, right? How often have you asked your question, should I do this? Should I not do this? Is this wise? It is it is a felt need for each one of us in this room to know what does it mean? What is wisdom? Where can I get it? We are met day in and day out with decisions of wisdom. So according to this text, in God's king, the root of Jesse, wisdom flows out of the spirit that rested upon him. Isaiah describes to us one way or the way, let me change that, the way to find wisdom in the spirit-filled king. You and I can only grow in wisdom in direct correlation with our humble spirit-led submission to capital W wisdom itself, Jesus. And the text speaks of wisdom and understanding because without understanding, something is hard to gain or some, it is hard to gain wisdom in something. So to mean, when he says you understand something, it means your mind is wrapped around it, that you have grasped it. 
So to understand something correlates very closely with wisdom. One man once told me, and I think it was a seminary professor, I'm probably sure, wisdom is the skill and the art of godly living. That definition has both understanding and wisdom together. Skill in the art of what? Of godly living. It doesn't say living, but godly living. The understanding of God is in direct connection to wisdom. But understanding doesn't always produce loving and wise people. And I know you're assuming that. I know you've experienced that. And I'm glad that you're thinking on the same wavelength as me because I wondered the same thing. We aren't always the best at wisely navigating life because we often forget who our life is for, our understanding. You see, God has condescended. God has come down. God has come to us and spoke in our language and our reality not in some lofty terms to which you cannot grasp or you cannot get your mind around. No, in our language, in our understanding, so that we can get our minds around Him. Now, not fully, obviously. God is so infinite and our minds are so finite, but that we can grasp Him. We can be certain of things about Him that He has communicated to us plainly. And therefore, our explanation of why we did or did not do something can be flawed if we do not grasp or understand fully the God we were made for. So let us consider together Jesus. Jesus grew in wisdom and understanding according to Luke's gospel. And all he did, he considered the will of him who sent me. Nothing he did was short-sighted, impulsive, or politically motivated. In fact, it was through wisdom and understanding that he climbed the hill, bearing a cross. With wisdom, he took one nail through the right wrist and another to the left. And in wisdom, he hung. Crown on his brow, for people like you and me. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Where is it that you look for wisdom and understanding? Is it at the feet of the nail-scarred hands of King Jesus? Or is it somewhere else? Because only there with Jesus can we be renewed in wisdom and understanding. But not only do we look to King Jesus for renewal because of wisdom and understanding, but also, and my third point, because in him is God's spirit of counsel and might. So every four years, our society votes for a new leader of the free world. And each time a new president is inaugurated into the Oval Office, they are given an extreme amount of power. But this single person doesn't have the capacities or the expertise in themselves to run the country by themselves. 
So they have a cabinet appointed to help them in decisions to wield that power, essentially a council of people. What happens when the leader of the free world doesn't adhere to the council at hand? What if, he, what if they choose the most unwise course of action and push to see it through? And I'm sure over the years we've all seen or thought or experienced something of those matters where we've seen a leader push to see something through and we thought that was unwise. That was a misuse of might and power. But not adhering to counsel and misusing power to see poor plans through is not what comes from the root of Jesse. He doesn't set up a cabinet or dismiss or refuse their counsel. His use of power is always for the good of his people. His counsel is always with the God of the universe. So picture with me for a second the process now that it takes for water to pour over a waterfall. The water starts in a great river, right? The spirit of the Lord that rests upon him. And as the source of the water flows down the river, it flows into a tributary or a creek, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, which cuts smoothly over the rock and sand, creating and supplying just what is needed as the creek narrows into an offshoot that spills over the rocks into a drop-off, creating a waterfall. This is the use of counsel and might. The waterfall is a beautiful display of the right course of action coming from the river, the spirit of the Lord that rests upon him, moving through the spirit, moving through into a tributary or creek, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, knowing where you came, who's you are for and where you came from, and then living in such a way that you are flowing naturally towards this reality, the waterfall, the use of counsel and might. And the waterfall is a beautiful display of that right course of action and the power use, the right use of might, the right use of power to see that action through, to continue to pour over the rocks and to make a tranquil pool. You see, this is exactly what being under King Jesus guarantees that as beautiful, natural, and with ease that that waterfall pours into a tranquil pool, Jesus is always one with the will of the Father, seeing all that we once faced are currently facing and will be facing into. His counsel is from the foundations of the world. His might is the very animating force that created life itself. Will you let the waterfall of Christ counsel and might wash over you and whatever you have are or will be facing into? Because he always moves us in the right course of action. He always uses the right amount of power. He is right 
in all that he does, even if it hurts a little. He is right in all that he does, even if it's confusing. He is right in all that he does, even when times are beautiful and good. Because in him is the spirit of counsel and might. And if we are in him, we are walking with that same spirit in the use of counsel and might. He will be good to you. He will. The waterfall is always washing into a tranquil pool with Jesus, even if it looks confusing, even if it looks dark, even if it seems uncertain to you. But as we have stepped further and further into the presence of King Jesus for renewal, we come to the last point, the last thing we look to here. And it says, because in him is God's spirit of knowledge and true worship. Oh, how desolation brings such darkness. But without the darkness, we cannot fully appreciate the light. So it is with the knowledge and true worship of God. We cannot appreciate what the word knowledge is communicating to us without coming to grips to the fact that we once did not know. And the text is telling us that Jesus has been given the spirit of knowledge. Knowledge to Jesus is more than just a simple fact of knowing facts or getting the right answers or studying the books to get, to get the A on the test. Knowledge is intimate. Knowledge is personal. Knowledge is relational. John chapter 17 actually shows us a window into this very knowledge that is being described to us here in Isaiah. And we see this language from John 17, that Jesus has this type of access to God, this type of knowledge of God. And it says, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world existed, that type of knowledge. Or all mine are yours and yours are mine. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. That type of knowledge. That they may be one, I in them and you in me. That type of knowledge. That intimate of a relationship. That close to his father. Just listen to the intimacy here. It speaks of knowing someone like the back of your very own hand, as if they were just you, one with you, knowing you. The knowledge that Jesus has is the knowledge that can turn God from abstract and distant, aloof to concrete, near and alive in your life. This is the level of intimacy you and I actually long for. A deep connection with God, and it can only be found through Christ. And this level of intimacy with God within the root of Jesse produces a true fear of the Lord. 
The phrase fear of the Lord signals to us more than a dread or a timidity towards God, but a wholehearted reverence. You see, when you actually know God on the intimate levels to which Jesus has stepped in to know him and, and has experienced him, there is a full reverence that nothing that you face into is going to be shaken, that nothing that goes on in your life is actually going to be missed that nothing that you are experiencing, the tears that you have will not be bottled, that the struggles that you, that you are facing will not one day be re remade new because Jesus knows God and he feared him wholeheartedly. He could go to the cross. He could experience the pangs of death, the throes of suffering for you and for me, that his body could that his body could pierce with pain and come out the other side made new. This is the type of knowledge and fear of the Lord that he has. It's a wholehearted reverence. It places God in his rightful place as the one who creates all things and all things one day will bow to him and in perfect unity sing of his glorious grace. So in the beginning of this sermon, I described the hope that came from one woman's violin in the midst of a world in need of renewal. Well, you see, from the fall of man, there has been a melody, one playing softly in the midst of an orchestra of desolation. As the melody plays in the midst of darkness, a fluorescent light shines over a man his bow hitting the strings perfectly. His tune sounding like the beautiful song that we all have longed to hear, the one that puts us at rest, the one that brings us peace, the one that helps us navigate the world that we are in. The sounds of recreation from his violin are reverberating. And as he plays, hope rises. Sections of the desolated orchestra begin to reassemble. Brass, percussion, string instruments all come to life listening to his melody, listening to him play. And as he continues to play more and more and more beauty springs up in the desolation from that one violin, that one shoot. And one day, very, very, very soon, Jesus will come back onto the stage of the world. And again, he will fiercely play his melody that will set right everything in this world into a beautiful harmony. Because as our text says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Hear the, hear the sound of him playing. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding 
Hear the subtle softness of him calling to you. And the spirit of counsel and might, he's directing you towards something good. And the spirit, and the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, he knows God. And if you know him, you can walk with God. Will you hear this great king's melody and be renewed by coming to him? Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We long for you. Advent is about coming and we want your coming. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.